Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Calling Tau City, turn on your radio. I know we had some words last time, but that was so long ago. I got your message. It was a little harsh, you know. It's still a little hard for me to hear. Please take it slow. Welcome to Starship Sofa, part of the District of Wonders network. Everyone has a story in the District of Wonders. Come and find yours. I'm tuning in to your transmissions. I'm rooting, waiting to be found. I'm building rockets. This is the Starship Sofa, everybody. Welcome, hello, and welcome to show 646. I am your host, Tony C. Smith. Hello, everyone. I hope everyone is fine and dandy. What a show. What a show. Some good news as well. And a little bit of ramble about me. Not about me, about certain programmes I've been watching, which I'm finding all right this time. So yes, we're on the show 646. I'll tell you what's coming in today's show. We have The Child of the Universe by Christian Riley. That's coming in today's show. I do hope you will stick around and enjoy it. So, a little bit of news. Over the next week or two, Gary Dowell, our editor, will be, as you have probably know by now, kicking off his shoes, retiring into the sunset as the editor of Starship Sofa. Big thank you to Gary for his kind of time. God, he's been here <laughs> years on the kind of District of Wonders over there on the, the kind of the Farfetched Fables podcast as well as editor. But Gary's, you know, time time now is for Gary to move on and stepping into his place. We have <laughs> now you can remember this this gentleman probably emailed this show when we probably our first ever show broadcast, Fred Heimbar. Fred is taking over as the editor of Starship Sofa. And I'm so pleased, to be honest. I asked Fred years ago if he would kind of, when, when there was a, a place there, and he turned us down, he snubbed us. But we, we're, kinda, we're still going, Fred's still going. And it now's the, now's the right time for Fred to kind of step in as Gary's kind of leaving there to just to take over. And I'm so pleased, to be honest. It's just, I couldn't think of a better person to kind of, you know, slip on the editor's shoes and sit comfortably next to me as we kind of go into deep space and pull out some, some amazing stories. It's just fantastic, to be honest. And I'll give you a little bio about Fred, just if no one's, someone's new to this show. Don't know who kind of Fred is. Like I say, Fred used to comment, you know, when me and Kieran first kicked off Starship's over. God, years ago. So Fred lives the pub fiction life and takes notes. His family lives with him warily in Ann Arbor, Michigan. He is the author of two novels of satirical alternative history. Find his science fiction horror stories at Analog Science Fiction and Fact and Mystery Online, Mysterion Online and other places. Fred is also the newly appointed editor of Starship Sofa. So yes, 
over the the coming weeks. Uh, Gary's just you know letting them letting them little bit dipping his toes in there, Fred, so he can get them used to it, and then Gary will step right back, and Fred will be the the kind of the main editor. But for, for I guess for now, Fred is the editor, but Gary's just. Steering them in the right direction. Yeah, so this is great news. Absolutely great news for Starship so far. I couldn't be more pleased. Fred, welcome aboard, sir. Pull up a seat. So that's one bit of great news. Is The other great news is two shows, and I'm no spoilers, no spoilers. I'm really, really enjoying them. I always had a problem with Star Trek Discovery, just especially when they had this Klingon backstory arc going on. It was just, for me, nonsense, absolutely nonsense, and I didn't like the Klingons, and I didn't, I just didn't, not at all. But then at the end, it kind of started to pick up, and I really did love it. I mean, where it ended, I thought it was fantastic, and... It was, to be honest, it could have finished there quite happily for me, another <laughs> two seasons in, and it would have, you know, on some degree, finished on a high because it just left you kind of wanting more. But it's come back, and I didn't think it would, and, and I guess even in these times I didn't think it would come back. But it's came back, and it's much better, man. It's just head and shoulders better. I'm really enjoying it to the point... And I'll get on to the other show as well, that I had three shows to watch the, the other night. And it's like Friday night now is my special time to kind of watch. I had the Star Trek Discovery, I had the new Mandalorian, and I had um, the Hugh McGregor motorbike long way up to, to, to ride, a long way up to go, a long way up. And... I straight away discovery I put discovery on because I'm just I'm interested in that universe I'm now interested in these characters these are the characters that I want these bloody Klingons were absolutely shocking so I just loved it you know what I mean and I did have a couple of issues when there was no like consequences for them ki- killing a load of like guards on this planet but this one just seemed to work great I absolutely loved it so Long may this go on like this because I'm I'm certainly are enjoying it way better than the kind of first and second you know it's just it was like wading through treacle, which brings us on to the Mandalorian. Now I had issues with that show as well. When if I mean some of the shows were like something like twenty seven minutes long, and there was just like you know what I mean. There was no like good character kind of involvement by the time that this, the show was over. By the time you got into it, but I noticed straight away this one was like a fit, and this might just be a a one-off special, but it was like a fifty-odd minute show, and it was just again excellent. Do you know what I mean? I've I think I've kind of had enough of the the Star Wars universe of you know the, the Luke Sky Skywalker whole brigade that. So it's lovely to kind of dip in now because I still love the universe. And to find like the Mandalorian and all the characters that you know what he brings along, it's fantastic. And especially, you know what I mean, when it's like an hour long, just to kind of soak it all up. That's what I'm wanting. And this 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 story was fantastic as well. So this and I might as well mention like the Ewan McGregor long way up. It's just I love it. That's I don't know if anyone can remember, but years ago I started a podcast called um, oh, I forget what it was called. Adventures, something, and it was talking to people who go off on adventures, and it was always, I got that initial kind of an armchair adventure myself, you know, from watching the very first one, which was in 2004, 
And I'll just give you a little clip about this show. It was, and it honestly brought me to tears, this one, because you McGregor was just talking away to the camera and about seeing choices. And then, for some reason, he mentioned like, the first season of this, which was, I think, 2004, when they were in Mongolia on this kind of desert... And they were having to go to, oh, I forget what the, the capital of Mongolia is, go on, t- someone tell us. And it was just like, it seemed to be never-ending. And they could turn left, get on the, this Russian highway and be there in it, like, or miss it, Utan, oh, I forget what it's called, just miss it out totally, or take the long route and go there. And it was this split decision, he got a phone call off his producer saying, this is why you did it, you know what I mean, to kind of experience these these lands and these hardships and like see these cultures so he decided the, the two of them decided well they get on the bikes and they drove there and it, what he said you know that they, they, they got to this utan but oh, i forget how we man someone tell us everyone's probably shouting out what it was called now but they got there and they had a great time then they went to this orphanage and they had a look around this orphanage and there was one blessed this little girl that was there, who wouldn't speak to anybody. I, I don't know if she lost her parents. She would speak to one child who would feed her and look after her. And this one incident really, you know, this one encounter with this little girl for you, McGregor, you know, was just life, life-changing. Because he says a couple of years later, he went back and adopted her. And he said, you know, this split-second decision that he could have turned left and they could have went on this Russian highway and missed out. That whole, you know, and would have missed out on his daughter, you know. And his next in next episode, they're going to meet her in, I think it's Costa Rica. Just, you know, she was just a little, a little tot when you know she was in this kind of orphanage in the middle of nowhere in the Mongolian desert. But now he's, you know, I'm guessing, however many years later, she's you know grown up, and she's going to help with the, you know, he's going to meet her on the tour of this, this motorbike thing. And it had me in tears. And he was crying as well, Hugh McGregor, when he was, what you know, talking about it. And it was just, what a show that is. Absolutely fantastic. But I'm going again. I am getting all choked up again there. So <laughs> let's get into the main fiction before I start crying my eyes out then. So Child of the Uni- Universe by Christian Riley. The story is original for Starship Sova. Chris Riley lives near Sacramento, California, vowing one day to move back to the Pacific Northwest. In the meantime, he teaches special education, writes cool stories and hides from the blasting heat for six months of the year. He has had more than a 100 short stories published in various magazines and anthologies and across various genres. His debut novel, a literary suspense entitled The Singing of Angie Pepper, Piper, should I say, was published in 2017 and his debut short story collection is forthcoming from Mount Abrax Press. And there's a link on to Chris's site as well. Now, this story is narrated by Tatiana Gray. Tatiana is critically acclaimed actress of stage, screen and the audio booth. She has been nominated for dozens of fancy awards but hasn't won a single damn thing. And that is a crying shame, Tatiana, a crying shame. She went to New York University and lives in Brooklyn, New York. And you can find her at tatianagrea.com. So the Starship Sova is very proud to present... Child of the Universe by Christian Riley. Narrated by Tatiana Gray. Don't waste your time, Samina. My mother's words of wisdom... And her warning about males. She has always claimed 
Males were predators, every single one of them. If given the chance to act upon their inherent indulgences of spreading their DNA across the galaxy, they would not hesitate in the slightest. As a child, I accepted my mother's advice with humor, despite the developmental constraints of my adolescence. I suppose I also had a skewed perspective on the matter. There were no male role models in my life, other than the scumbags my mother had hunted down and neutralized. This isn't entirely true, now that I think about it. Quante was a male, although not of the human species from which I draw most of my heritage. But he was nice enough. He sold fuel rods for the entropic couplers, among other things, and was always pleasant to my mother and me. And when I was old enough to understand certain things, I realized that there had been a little more going on between Quante and her. But of course, Quante's example as a male was but mere comet dust against the fiery solar winds of my mother's daily teachings. I check the distance monitor on the control panel and dial in a few coordinates. The ship's thermal drive shudders ever so slightly, and I'm suddenly reminded of how it's the little things in life that, once missed, seem to cause the most amount of pain. Just thinking of Emrith tears me apart. No, that's, that is not correct. I am already torn. I have been, completely and irreparably, so it would seem. My thoughts of him only remind me of this seemingly mortal wound I have been living with. I can feel his loss, and all those little things about him in the marrow of my bones, well beyond the folds of my broken heart. It's like an illness from deep space. I just can't shake it. For months now, I have felt nothing but the ache of his passing. And this feeling has inspired in me a longing for the simplicity of my childhood. Life was simple back then, and in so many ways. Like a faithful slave, I had accepted my role as my mother's daughter, and I questioned nothing. Not until I grew into my teens, that is. And just before my mother had also been killed. In an Archimedes absorption accident, of all things. Huh, what an uncanny side note. My mother, Swansoon Denio, renowned bounty hunter of the entire galaxy, who had neutralized scores of dangerous criminals, wantonly killed in a free-floating absorption tank. I've noticed that my digressions have become more frequent of late. But to be honest, I welcome them. They give my mind a short alternative to the nagging persistence of loneliness and sorrow. Ten more migrants to go, and I'm bringing this baby into the quarter district, and then onto the refueling planet of Wangti. No suspicions about that, I hope. I'm sure my mother won't suspect a thing. But if she does, knowing her... She may suspect the worst. The Quarter District? Yes, Mother, I need to refuel. But Wang Ti? There's a sneer in her voice when she asks that last question. It makes me slightly anxious, so I concentrate on calming my nerves. 
It's the closest planet in this sector, Mother, and I don't want to linger in the quarter district any longer than I have to. Well, I guess that makes sense. Of course it makes sense, I say sarcastically. I pull the gear assimilator down, and the ship begins landing phase. Now she shudders more violently, and the cabin rattles in response. Instinctively, I tighten my shoulder harness and then punch the exhaust receiver above me. I always like the feel of cold air blowing on my face when coming out of the vacuum, especially into an atmosphere as thick as Wang Ti's. You've never been able to stand the heat, my mother says with a chuckle. Have you, Samina? Oh, whatever you say, Mom. I glance to my left. Another instinctive response. It's where my mother would be sitting right now, the co-pilot's chair, if her corporeal form still existed. Now uh, buckle yourself in, this one'll be rough. A cruel, stabbing reminder lies behind my words, but my mother only laughs in response. She's tough that way. There's half a light year between now and forever. The place where Emerith lost his life. I think about that day. The day my personal transmission feed lit up in red, announcing the sudden annihilation of the quiet Tango, the ship he was stationed on. Very much like me, Emrith had chosen the simple path in life. He ran cargo deliveries to various planets on the inner rim, a boring yet relatively safe job now that most large vessels are outfitted with inverse gravity shields to ward against pirates. Emrith had been running that gig for seven years before I met him. He was a pro. All the same, when a bank of quantum reactors loses core integrity, nothing within a 10,000 megron radius can stand a chance. I like to think that my mother would have been fond of Emrith had she met him. She probably wouldn't have. But I still think it anyway. My small, insignificant belief, which aids to propel my resistant body forward into the mysterious uncertainties of the future. It's thoughts like these that remind me of that novel, Stranger in a Strange Land, written by an author of the Nilo system and of the first Myria some 30,000 years ago. I had found the book on a transient data drive one day while perusing the ancient archives section, and the title took my interest. I read the story in less than a day, while docked in Valaus, as my mother processed another one of her bounties. Sometimes the paperwork of collecting her fee took forever, so I usually read or slept while I waited. The story's main character was Michael Smith, and I do believe he served as some type of literary parallel to an ancient prophet of that star system. But the old man, uh, Jubal Harshaw, was the character who resonated with me the most. I suppose he reminded me of my mother with his ornery ways. But I think of him and of that book when I consider the near future, my near future, and however scary it may seem. As my mind frequently dwells on the past, the longing of how things used to be, the simplicity of my youth, my mother's actual physical presence, and then of Emrith. Ugh, Emrith, like a novel from long ago. I wonder if the future might one day be interested in what I have to say.
or have done, or what I will soon do. Don't take any longer than you have to. Don't worry, Mother. I'll be right back. I walk down the cargo ramp and into the humid air of Wang Ti. Within seconds, I'm greeted by a fuel slaver, and I tell him to fill her up. Then, after stepping away from the ship a good twenty or so feet, I call the guy over. He runs up to me with a concerned look on his face. Where's the nearest soul-binding dealer? I ask. The fuel slaver scratches his head and then points towards the city's main entrance. Bebe's, he says, in the provisions market. Thanks, I reply, and walk away. I'm well aware of the provisions market and how it serves as a thin disguise for the trade of illicit merchandise. On the outside, the place is a mishmash of kiosks and storefronts, hawking everything from anti-gravity torsion boots to skinned and lightly roasted grevels. But if you look deeper, if you know how to look deeper, as my mother did, you'll find an entire market of lesser-known, yet highly illegal products. Fortunately for me, a simple soul-binding dealer operates well within the quarter district's legal system. So I make my way toward the provisions market and into a throng of consumers that encompasses just about every sentient creature known in the galaxy. It doesn't take me long to find Bay Bays. Run by a twoonlock from the Abram system, the place reeks of some exotic incense with quasi-dirt and body odor quality, thick and musky. The twoonlock is friendly enough, albeit quirky in her manners. Would you care for a tantalizing treat? she says, offering me a jar of curious-looking edibles. No, thank you. I'm just here for a soul-binding pellet. She gives me an odd, sad look. I am sorry, she says, setting the jar onto a nearby table. How recent? Recent enough, I say. I'm hesitant with offering too many details on the matter. I don't want to linger here nor do I want to get myself all choked up in front of a stranger. It is of importance, darling one, she replies. The longer the transgression has occurred, the weaker and more distant the Newman shall be. What is it that they say? Time is of the essence. Yes, in this case, time is of the essence. With a swallow, I give her the details, and she smiles and walks into another room. I take this moment to look around and think about what it is I'm actually about to do. It is a heavy load to shuttle, this exchange of one for the other. On a wall in a corner, I notice a small shelf with digital display screens on it. It is a dull affair, dusty and halfway tucked into shadow, but it catches my eye. The simulations must be of the dealer's family or friends or whatever relations Twoonlocks have. But its depressed, seemingly forgotten presence reminds me of the sadness of my perceived future. I suppose I have my mother to blame for how she raised me, the various environments she had dragged me through across the entire galaxy, the insecurities that came from being exposed to long periods of mundane existence, followed by abrupt violence such being the life of a bounty hunter's daughter. 
Maybe it is for this reason that I am longing to settle for some of the familiarities of my old life, as opposed to grasping with great courage the sheer terror of the future, and then jumping headlong into whatever ship will take me there. Here you go, young child, the Twoonlock says, walking back into the room. A luminal hypercore with a filter span of 900 megrons. It will do the job. She hands me the pellet. A casing of webbed steel and Lithonian glass. The contents of the pellet shine through the glass with a bright purple radiance. There is one more thing, I say, swallowing once again. I will... I will also need an ejection module. I don't waste time. After my purchases, I head back to the ship, pay my docking and refueling fees, and then prepare for departure. As I secure the soul-binding pellet and ejection module into my ship's plasma reservoir for safekeeping, I find myself curious at how discreet I am trying to be. My mother cannot see what I do. Her spirit has been bound to and set at the same frequency of my ship. Like a haunting ghost, she exists here on this vessel only, and will identify with any complex machinations that occur, such as takeoff or landing, but she is helpless beyond that. She can hear, and converse, though, which for my mother makes her a bit more than helpless. And yes, she can feel also. That is the true knife that hovers above my heart. The fact that my mother can still feel, that she will feel. What's taking so long, Samina? she asks. Oh, nothing really, I'm just sorting through a few things, taking inventory. I wonder if, when the time comes, I will be able to pull the proverbial trigger. So, where is my brave daughter taking us now? We're heading to the Fendwin system. It is a partial lie, so a believable one. The Fendwin system contains numerous planets rich in both gaseous and aggregate materials. It is a hotbed for the production of textiles, quantum components, and rare fuel stabilizers. And, obviously enough, contains numerous transport suppliers. Uh, we should reach our destination in less than seven hours, my mother interjects. Right, I say. Less than seven hours. But not even that long. She has never known about Emrith. He and I met discreetly. I kept him a secret, even after my mother's passing and subsequent reconnection to the ship. And even after Emrith himself had been killed, I kept my mouth shut. That was the hardest part. Having to endure the tragedy of my suffering in complete solitude. And I blame my mother for that. I knew her abrasive and cantankerous waves would not tolerate for long my emotional agony. She would have viewed me as a deceptive, lying weakling, much like the prey she hunted for a living. But because she never knew about Emrith, or of the ship he was stationed on, she suspects nothing about the coordinates I dial into the manifest loader. It is, after all, on the way to the Fendwin system, 
And after I do this, I set the controls to auto-drive and retire to my quarters for a short nap. Of course, I do not sleep. I only think. Another curiosity I struggle with is that although both my mother and Emrith have since perished, it is I who has felt dead all these months. Sleep is my only reprieve when I get it. As every waking moment seems to be an exercise of existence. Who would have thought that being alive and healthy could be so difficult to endure? I suppose I blame my mother for this as well. Had she been a normal woman, I might have a father and possibly siblings to lean on during these troubled times. Yet, how can I keep such ill feelings toward my mother in a state of unrelenting suspension. She was, and still is, a dear counterpart to me. With that, I like to think that when I do pull that trigger, it will be more for her benefit than for mine. The ship's acceleration handler suddenly shifts down into subdrive. I am fast approaching my destination, and my nerves begin to quiver in response. A thousand different thoughts are currently battling over control of my mind. Samina, what is this? My mother suddenly suspects something. Of course she does. I knew this moment would happen, and I swear I had planned on what to say, but right now, I am speechless. Perhaps that is what's best, to remain speechless. Samina, she asks. What is happening? Why is the ship stopping? There is nothing in this sector, and I do not detect any malfunctioning components. I remain silent as I get myself up and leave my quarters. I head directly to the plasma reservoir, located in the stable storage function of my ship. This specific storage container is conveniently detached from the ship's primary control bank, and, as such undetectable by my mother's senses. Samina? I can hear the alarm in her voice, but I doubt she knows what is about to happen. Samina, what are you doing? I know you are awake and can hear me. I love you, mother. As I say this, I realize immediately that those simple words will place dread into her. And I am correct. As her silence defines her feelings... She is undoubtedly guessing rapidly as to what is happening, while I collect the soul-binding pellet and ejection module, then head for the transfer tank. My nerves have stricken me with tunnel vision, and all I see before me is a hazy corridor rimmed by a nebulous black border. "'What do you mean to do, Samina?' she asks. "'I love you, mother.' They are the only words my body will allow me to say. But in my thoughts are a thousand others passing in and out of existence with the speed and vagueness of a subatomic particle. At the transfer tank, I set the soul-binding pellet down on a workbench and then hold the ejection module up before me, studying it. It is similar in shape and size to the binding pellet, but its surface is featureless and dark gray. There is nothing remotely warm about the device, 
or should I say bullet, as it is nothing more than an instrument of death, pure and everlasting death. I feel its coldness in my hands, and I want to be rid of this killing machine, but for some reason I hold on to it for a little while longer. As if, by extension, I am trying to share or at least minimize the level of destruction it will soon deliver. Samina, please answer me. I am worried for you. I turn away from the module and stare into the walls of my ship as if to look my mother in the eye. She is worried for me. And those are the words, the true words and feelings that come with being a parent. Or so I can only imagine. And as much as they wound me to hear them, they also nudge me out of my state of remorseful uncertainty. Now, without hesitation, I load the ejection module into the transfer tank and crank the breach into delivery mode. Like a beacon, this one action notifies my mother as to exactly what is happening and what I am doing. And it is at this juncture, this brief intermission of an exchange of fates, that I once again hear in my head the rambling thoughts of Jubal Harshaw. The most profound memory I took from that book, Stranger in a Strange Land, was Jubal's ruminations over the creation of the universe, being by that of pure, random chance, or, as implied, that of something else. It is that something else that forever lingers in my mind and drives me toward hope, the hope that one day, by whichever means possible, I will once again share the company of my mother. And with this one thought, I love you, Mom. I really do. I pull the trigger. The ship jolts suddenly. The sound of a releasing vacuum explodes around me, and then my mother's spirit vanishes into the deepest, darkest void our universe has to offer. Amrith? Is that really you? Samina? His voice is thin and frail, but I know that's just the effects of the time-lapse continuum brought on by the distance between his past and present, as defined by reconnection. The soul-binding pellet worked, and Emrith is now at one with my ship. Oh, how I've missed you, I say, the tears of both sorrow and ecstasy running down my face. There's so much I need to tell you, Emrith. As do I, dear Samina, he replies. It is a cold feeling I must live with, knowing that I chose this man over my mother. But I blame her for this as well. She taught me to be selfish, to think for myself and for the one that I love, and to think for the one that I shall love. I place my hand on my stomach and look into the blackness beyond my ship, searching for all the mysteries of the universe. There are answers out there. I know, hidden among the terror and the hope and the daunting uncertainty. But just then, when I feel that little kick, 
I am stricken with a sudden reflection of believing and knowing that by all means, the universe is not random. In fact, it is nothing of the kind. And there you go. Big thank you to Chris and Tatiana for that. What Brilliant. Chris, thank you so much. Yes, get some more stories into Starship Sova. That would be fantastic. Tatiana is amazing. Thank you so much. So that is today's show. I do hope you've enjoyed it. I'm a little ramble and a big warm welcome to Fred as well. Until next time, just like to say, good night from me. Thank you for listening. Anytime soon, can you reach me? Is my signal getting through? Turn on your radio, I wanna talk to you. This signal's going light speed. By the time I get my say, I might already be on to you and on my way. But you're so far from here And at best I'm moving slow So I'm waiting on your call At home with nowhere to go Can you reach me? Is my signal getting through? Turn on your radio I wanna talk to you I wanna talk to you Myself on a radio wave, I might get to you someday. If books were rocket ships, I'd need only the will to fly. I'm still building word by word, and I'll get out there by and by. I'll get out there by and by. I'll get out there. I'll get out there by and by. I'll get out there by and by. I'll get out there, out there by and by. I'll get out there by and by. I'll get out there, out there by and by.